I invite you to have a seat. Um, please bow with me as we just invite God's presence here. God, I thank you that you're here. You promised to be here, and we just invite you here as well. Unify us as your church. Um, bring us into obedience to you and humble hearts. Um, help us to have listening ears to hear you as well. Amen. I'm going to be reading from Psalms 2. Um, I just invite you to listen. Why do nations plot evil together? Why do they make useless plans? The kings of the earth rise up against the Lord. The rulers of the earth join together against his anointed king. Let us break free from their chains, they say. Let us throw off their ropes. The God who sits on his throne in heaven laughs. The God who makes fun of those rulers and their plans. When he is angry, he warns them. When his anger blazes out, he terrifies them. He says to them, I have placed my king on my holy mountain of Zion. I will announce what the Lord has promised. He said to me, you are my son, and today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will give the nations to you. All nations on earth will belong to you. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will smash them to pieces like clay pots. Kings, be wise. Rulers of the earth, be warned. Serve the Lord and have respect for him. Celebrate his rule with trembling. Obey the son completely or he will be angry. Your way of life will lead to your death. His anger can blaze out at any moment. Blessed are all those who go to him for safety. We're going to sing a song that we have sung in the past, but it will probably, again, feel fairly new to most of you. It does to us. So sing along if you'd like or just listen to the words.
next two songs.
Thank you. You may be seated. I'll invite the worship team to go and sit down. Um, so in this last season, um, the offering boxes had been in the back, and we haven't always um, maybe realized the significance of that in the service. And in this last, last Sunday, we were in um, a church with Naomi, Tony, and Astrid. We see our, saw your granddaughter. She's a woman of wisdom. We just want to encourage you in that. Um, and so there was just a deeper significance in the offering. And um, I just want to invite us. Uh, we, we sing as a part of our worship. Sometimes we stand when we sing. When Pastor Russell um, preaches the word, we open our Bibles. And in this season, we haven't passed the offering plate, and it's an action. And so I invite you, uh, at whatever level you're comfortable, to just put your hands out. Um, as an act of our worship, um, to, to just say, God, what you've given us, that's yours. And God has been so generous to us. And, and this is also an opportunity for you, if you are really needing God's generosity in your life, um, to just give that to him as well. So I invite you to just put your hands out, and we'll pray for the offering. God, you are so good to us. In that last song, we sang, you lay down your life so I could be set free. And I thank you for that. You um, have given us everything. In the offerings we give you, in financial, in our time, God, use those things for your honor and your glory. Amen. I'm going to invite you to turn to Acts 16. Um, I'll be reading Acts 16, 16 to 34. I'll give you a minute to, to look that up. We talked about this a little bit in our practice this morning. Russell, Pastor Russell, we're really looking forward to what you have to say about this. So, so listen and uh, read along. One day we were going to a place of prayer. On the way, we were met by a female slave she had a spirit that helped her tell people what was going to happen. She earned a lot of money for her owners by doing this. She followed Paul and the rest of us around. She shouted, these men serve the most high God. They are telling you how to be saved. She kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became upset. Turning around, he spoke to the spirit that was in her. In the name of Jesus Christ, he said, I command you to come out of her. At that very moment, the spirit left the woman. Her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, and so they grabbed Paul and Silas. They dragged him into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them to the judges. These men are Jews, their owner said. They are making trouble in our city. They are suggesting practices that are against Roman law. These are practices we cannot accept or take part in. The crowd joined the attack against Paul and Silas. The judges ordered that Paul and Silas be stripped and beaten with rods. They were whipped without mercy, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put Paul and Silas deep into the prison. He fastened their feet so they could not get away. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They were also singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a powerful earthquake. It shook the prison from top to bottom. All at once, the prison doors flew open. Everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. He saw that the prison doors were open. He pulled out his sword and he was going to kill himself. He thought the prisoners had escaped. Don't harm yourself, Paul shouted. We are all here. The jailer called out for some lights. He rushed in, shaking with fear. He fell down in front of Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out. He asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus. Then you and everyone living in your house will be saved. They spoke the word of the Lord to him. They also spoke to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took Paul and Silas and washed their wounds. Right away, he and everyone who lived with him were baptized. 
the jailer brought them into his house. He set a meal in front of them, and he and everyone who lived with him were filled with joy. They had become believers in God. The word of the Lord. We'll just invite Bethany and Elmer up and uh, bless you as you serve as well. The song that <clears throat> the song that we're going to be doing is titled "Come to the Savior." And if you've never come to the Savior, you can do it today. You can come anytime you want to. He's waiting for you. see you all this morning. Please bow with me now as we dismiss Children to Children's Church. Dear God, we thank you for all the little ones here this morning. We thank you for the wonderful part of our lives they are. God, we pray as they go to Children's Church now that you speak through this speaker, you speak through the teacher. You show them things that they never knew before that will stay with them all their lives. Pray also be with the teachers. We pray, give them the words to say, give them the perseverance to say it, and for it to be a great time as well. Lord, we also pray for our service this morning. We pray a blessing on it. Lord, we pray, speak through it. We put all these things before you this morning. Amen. All right. Ages 3 to 11, down the hall, that way. That's where Children's Church is. If you have your bulletins on you, now's the time to pull them out. And what you will see right there at the top is an absolutely wonderful bit of news. That is that at 12 p.m., and by that I mean when my big mouth finally stops talking, then it's time for the potluck. And I can smell it already. I am excited for it. I hope you all are as well. And then after the potluck, don't worry, today is a good filled day with all sorts of things. There's going to be the loud music event later at the church. What I will say is, is that I have not seen Mike so excited for an event, and I am excited along with him. I am looking forward to tonight. Good morning. It's been a while since I've been up here and spoken to everybody. Um, I would like to invite you out tonight, 7 p.m. here at the church. You see all the extra gear up on the stage here? We had a really amazing time practicing on Thursday night. We're gonna do some more practicing this afternoon and we'd love for you to come out. Um, this is kind of a, a dream come true for me to do this. So, um, boy, that happened quick. Sorry, I'm over it now. Um, yeah, I think it's gonna be good. I know we have some conflict with the football game, so I'll leave it up to everybody to make their own decisions. But. Um, it's going to be about an hour long. We're going to have some cookies and coffee afterwards. So, um, yeah, I would appreciate the support. Tell your friends, invite your family. It's going to be a great time. Thank you.
Besides, I think we all know the Bombers are going to win at the game anyway. So instead, this is the place to be. And I'm looking forward to it. Hi. My child is walking. <laughs> all right. As you go down farther, then Kids Connect. Oh. Yes. Oh, it'll be so much fun. There we go. That little girl is deceptively fast. <laughs> Trust me, I know. I am also, I would say, deceptively slow. That is not deceptive <laughs> at all. But she's wonderful all the same. Kids Connect, this Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. Uh, if you are between the ages of grades 3 and 6, or more likely, if you have someone in your life between the ages of grades 3 and 6, send them along. It's a great time. Prayer meeting, 645 at the church as well. We're going to try to do it in the nursery this coming week. We think that that'll end up doing a good job as far as uh, making it easy to come and pray. Uh, going down, girls' Bible study, Thursday, 7.30 p.m. That is at Bethany and Dawson's house, so talk to them if you're interested. And next Sunday, Sunday school and the worship service. And we have guest speakers, special guest speakers. Uh, they are from the Mission World Serve, and so they will be telling us all the things that they are doing across uh, the world, and it is truly across the world uh, next Sunday. So look forward to that. Also skipping down, November 24th, Circle Square Ranch is having their dessert fundraiser here at the church. Their RSVB date has passed, but at the same time, I suspect if you get back to them like now, then you probably will still be able to sneak in. So the number is right there. Spruce Dale's having their fundraiser on November 25th at the Austin Hall. Quilting at Summerfeld Church is back. I feel, has it been back for a while? This is the first time I knew it was back. Either way, that's exciting too. November 29th and 30th. December 4th, Carol Fest. And we are well represented at Carol Fest as a church this year. I'm going to be doing the opening and closing. There is going to be a band that, not a four-part harmony? Quintet? Barbershop Quartet. Something like, it's going to be good. That's what I'm saying. David has been working, and all of the people with him have been working real hard. So look forward to that. Come to hear that. And also, I think that uh, Lyndon and Levi are doing something as well. So it is going to be a great time at Carol Fest. So put that on your calendars as well. It's going to be at the MCI Gymnasium. December 6th, congregational meeting. We are having our congregational meeting for the fall on December 6th. Uh, the big thing on the docket that day is elections. Speaking of which, if you go back to your mailboxes, there is a list of nomination sheets that have all the spots open. I would encourage you to have a look over them. See which ones are really speaking to your heart, which ones you want to serve in. And at the same time, if uh, God is putting it on your heart that somebody else in the congregation would do a great job, talk to them. Uh, start praying also that God shows who should be there. That I would encourage you to do as well, even if you're not a part of the congregation. That is always the type of prayer that every church, every church can use more of. And December 9th, the McGregor EMC Christmas concert is back. And I'm looking forward to that as well. If you want to do something for that, by the way, then come talk to me and we will make sure to figure out a way to get you into the, into the program. I think that that would be absolutely wonderful. All right, any more announcements? All right. Then going for items of prayer. First off, camp season has begun in Paraguay because they are in a different hemisphere. And so, oh, they're not quite in a different hemisphere, are they? Nope. But camp season is beginning there all of the same. So we want to pray for Travis and Rosie as they wind up for this season of camp, that it is a successful time, that many, many kids come, and that it is a great way to build the kingdom there in Paraguay. Uh, we want to pray for wisdom for the EMC Church Council. That is next conference council. That's next Saturday. Uh, and there are some big things on the docket. So we want to pray for wisdom in those discussions, uh, in those meetings that will lead the EMC into the next phase. Also, one of the big things, I suspect we're going to meet a number of the new staff, and there are quite a few new staff in the head office, so I'm looking forward to meeting them in this new role as well. 
And then the last one there is that this is my 200th sermon today. 200th, and I'm going to put the caveat there. This is my 200th that I have written because I think that I was either sick or there were snow days in there. But I counted all the ones I wrote, and this is number 200. And so that, that hits me a little bit. I hope this can live up to a 200th, what I have for you today. I kind of don't hold me to that high a standard by any means. But at the same time, I want to say thanks. I want to say that it's been a good time being here for the past five years and preaching all these words. I've put a lot of myself into those, a lot of prayer, a lot of going into God's word. And so let's pray that the next 200 are even better. All right. Please bow with me now in prayer. Dear God, we come before you this morning, first off, in praise, always in praise and thanksgiving. Lord, I thank you for this group of people here this morning. Thank you for this congregation. They have been family, and they mean so much. God, I pray that as the years go by into the future, we will see you work in new and exciting ways. As we go into the future and hear your word that will hit us in new and exciting ways, ways that open our eyes to the glory of you and the kingdom you are building. Lord, that is my prayer this morning. First and foremost. And God, we also want to say thank you for the people of our congregation that may be far away this morning as well. Travis and Rosie come to mind. They may be a world away, but they are still with us. And so, God, we pray for them as they prepare for this new year of camp ministry. Lord, we pray, work through them. We pray, send campers. God, we pray that at the end of this season, you will be known in Paraguay as you never have been before. That we put before you. We pray, give them the strength to just run in you now. And we look forward to hearing all that you will do. That we put before you. And God, we want to pray for wisdom this morning as well. We want to pray for wisdom both for our own congregational meeting that is coming up with the elections that are held there. We want to pray for wisdom that the right people are chosen that will lead our church for the years to come. God, we look forward to seeing who you move through and we look forward to seeing what you will do through them. And we also pray for wisdom for the upcoming EMC Conference Council. God, we are thankful to be a part of this conference, to serve you throughout Canada, to build your kingdom throughout this country and the world as well through our missionaries. We're excited every time we see you work and God, we know that that isn't just done. It takes administration that you are leading. And so, God, we pray that at Conference Council, we can see you leading, that we can see your wisdom pour through, that we can see where it is that you want us to go for the years ahead. But, Lord, we thank you for our conference all the same. Lord, all of these things we put before you this morning and we place them at your feet. Amen. So, number 200. And also, the end of our series on living in faithfulness to God that we've been going through for the last couple months. And to end it, we are looking at Paul. The Apostle Paul, and also Silas, who is with him 
at the beginning of our passage today. So if you have your Bibles on you, I'd encourage you to take them out. Acts 16, verses 16 to 34. Acts 16, verses 16 to 34. And as we open our Bibles there, as we learn actually from the passage before this, we find ourselves in a new place that we haven't been to before. We find ourselves in the city of Philippi, which is a Greek city. So it's kind of mostly been spending all of our time in Israel, and this is to the north and to the west. It's kind of on a trade route, so there's a lot of people that go through it all of the time. But because it's a Greek city and a Roman city, there's magistrates here, it's under Roman rule. Because it is a Greek and Roman city, then the culture is different, and the religion is different, and the practices are different, and the religion is different, who it is that they worship, as we are going to see in just a bit on that one. But that means a number of different things. Not all are things we're going to get into today, but the one thing is, is that the Greeks and the Romans didn't have nearly as good an outlook on human life as the Jews did. Not saying that anybody was to the standard we would think of today, but the Greeks and the Romans back then didn't think much of the lives of people, especially if you were not one of them, and especially, especially, especially if they looked at you like you were in a lower class than them. Speaking of which, our passage begins with a slave girl. Paul and Silas are just off doing a victory lap. They've converted a woman and her family named Lydia in the passage before. And this slave girl uh, comes across them, and we're told right there that she is possessed. Now, whose Bible has a little asterisk next to the possessed or that she's with a spirit or something? Does anyone's Bible have an asterisk right there? Ah. Some will, if you have a study Bible, and if you go to the bottom, what it says there is that she is possessed with a python spirit, and I always get a kick out of that. The python there isn't python like snake. It's python like the Greek mythical beast, the one that Apollo slew, and that is something that comes up a lot when you read anything that has to do with Greek mythology, and the reason why is because the python spirit is in a number of people, and you've probably even heard of them before. They are the oracles, like the oracle of Delphi and the oracle of, there's a number of them. And the reason why is because if you have that python spirit in you, you are associated with the Greek god Apollo, the god of whom, among many other things, fortune tellers, oracles. And that's why your Bible translates it here as she was a fortune teller, a possessed fortune teller. But the thing to take there is she's a possessed fortune teller that is also tied to the Greek god Apollo. And we read that she is chasing these two men around, just yelling at them, these men are servants of the most high God. And they have come to tell you how to be saved. And she yells that at them time and time again. And that's where we come across something that is really odd about our passage today. And that is that in every other situation that we've ever run into with a disciple or an apostle, when they come across somebody who is spirit-possessed, what's the first thing that they do? They always cast that spirit out. That's something that Jesus says. That's a hallmark of what it means to be a disciple. What it means to be an apostle is when you come across spirits, you cast them out. But Paul doesn't do that here. In fact, this slave girl is following them around, yelling this at them for days, is what it says. And in the end, what finally causes Paul to act, what finally causes Paul to cast out the spirit, isn't because he has a change of heart and now is when he is going to do the, the right and Christian thing. No, what finally causes him to do it is that it says that he gets annoyed into doing it. And I don't know about you, but that's a pretty, hi again, as I said, real fast this one. Hi. Can you lift me? Oh no, we're going to go back to mom. Can you, you stay out? Uh, 
And I think that's a pretty, uh, pretty relatable thing because a lot of us, I think, do the right thing in the end because we're annoyed into it more than because of that's the right and Christian thing to do. But they finally cast the spirit out and the slave girl is freed from it. She's healed from it. To which immediately we read that her owners get right up in Paul and Silas's face. And they are very upset. Are they upset because of the well-being of the girl? Probably not. She's been off running after these two men that they don't know one way or the other for a couple days. Are they upset because she's tied to the god Apollo and Paul and Silas essentially just cast out a spirit that's a part of what it meant to be religious and Greek in this period of time? They, they, no, they're upset because their hopes of wealth are now shattered at that time, fortune tellers were used for everything. I think when we think of them now, we think it's a bit hokey. But back in those days, then, if you were going to go to battle, you would get your fortunes read. If you were going to uh, pass new policy, going to get married, going to do literally anything, then you got your fortunes read. And so these owners of hers would have been making bank. This doesn't mean that they were thinking high of her. We very clearly see that, both in just, uh, we're mad that our money source is gone and also that they don't really care where she's off to. They're just mad that their money is gone. And so they drag Paul and Silas before the magistrates of the city, we read. And boy, is that ever a bad episode of Law and Order right there. They come in real hot. The whole city is up in an uproar because of these Jews is what they say. And there is a bunch of half-truths right there, if there ever was. The reason that Jews is an important thing to give a bit of context is that this is only a handful of years before the rebellion that kicks off between all of the Jews and the Romans. So there's a lot of real tenseness there. There's a lot of bad blood there already. So to say that is kind of like these are radicals. But at the same time, there's a half-truth in that, even saying that phrase, because Paul himself is a Roman citizen. We, we read that earlier in the book of Acts. He is Jewish, but he's also a Roman citizen. But they conveniently leave that out, because if they were to say that part, well, then suddenly Paul and Silas are due to have a good trial, and that's not what we see here. They are stirring up the city, is what we read here. We don't really see them stirring up the city. What we see is these two owners are stirring up the city. They drag Paul and Silas into the middle of the marketplace to see that magistrate, into the middle of a group of people, and that's how they come in. If they're stirring up of the people, it's not Paul and Silas are doing it. Until we finally get the one part of this that is actually somewhat true. They are teaching the people to do things that are against Roman customs. And that they certainly are. Because by healing that fortune teller, healing that Greek slave girl, that's exactly what happened. It was an affront against the god Apollo in this city. And they did it because they were annoyed into it, but they did it all the same. And for that, we read that the people do get up in an uproar. And the magistrate, in order to save things, to cool them down, has Paul and Silas flogged and thrown into prison. Roman justice done right there. But nevertheless, when Paul and Silas are in prison, we read that they are overcome with joy. They are overcome with love for their Lord, and they start singing hymns even. And this is something you see as you go through the book of Acts. They're so tied into God that even in the good times and the bad times, it's just overwhelming, that love for Lord. That's not saying that you can't have bad times in life, but just saying that that is there too. And it's so infectious, the prisoners themselves start to come around. The prisoners themselves are moved. And then, at some time around midnight, excellent song, we read that an earthquake hits. In a number of traditions, the earthquake is read as sent by God. It doesn't actually say that here. And I think it's actually important we don't think that it was sent by God for reasons we're gonna get to in a little bit. 
but an earthquake hits, and it hits so hard that the iron gates themselves pop open. And this is where we see the actual miracle here. The actual miracle here isn't the earthquake. The actual miracle is that though their doors are open, all of the prisoners choose to stay with Paul and Silas, who they saw that the Lord threw, rather than run to their own freedom. And then the jailer comes in, sees all the doors are open, and he immediately takes out his sword to end his own life. Think about that for a moment. He doesn't even see if the prisoners are there. He just assumes they're gone. And he would rather end his own life than face what will happen to him if he comes before the Roman justice, having been a jailer that lost his prisoners, because that's what would have happened to him. There's stories from the time of jailers that lose their prisoners. They are executed in very terrible ways, even if it isn't their fault. And so that that is the decision he makes, even though he has a whole household, we find out later. He would rather end his own life than face what will happen to him if he goes before the magistrate himself. That is Roman justice right there. But that's when Paul cries out, we are all still here. Stay your hand. And the jailer is so taken with that that he asks them right then and there, what must I do to be saved? To which Paul answers the same thing that we have told many people ourselves over the years when they've asked us that same thing. What must we do to be saved? What must we do to follow our Lord? Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that he is the son of God. Follow him and you will know eternal life. To which then the jailer does something truly unexpected. He breaks Paul and Silas out himself, brings them to his house, even though, as we know, that risks it all for them. And then they tell the family the same thing, and all of them come to know the Lord and are baptized that day, that entire household. And that's where we're going to stop our passage today, but I'd encourage you to keep reading on. The next part is particularly a little funny, because Paul just sticks it to the magistrate, because tells them, I'm a Roman and you did this. It's great. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's an interesting guy, like a very interesting guy. And the book of Acts, as you go through it, you get a pretty clear idea, especially when you read his teachings later on, that the Apostle Paul is really big on one idea in particular, Kind of everything he does kind of falters back into that. And that is, the Lord is returning any day now. And so what's important is to go out there, spread the word. That's what's important. God's coming back. Let's spread the word far and wide. And that comes out in his teachings and how he thinks about how Christians should be. 1 Corinthians 7 is a good example of that. That's where Paul teaches about why you should probably be single if you have the option. Because if you're married, then that comes with it obligations. And isn't it better just to be single and get out there, spread the word, dedicate yourself to the Lord. When the Paul teaches, that's kind of the gist that comes through. If you're going to live, then live in a way that makes the gospel spread far and wide. If you're going to live, live in a way that makes the gospel as receptive as possible to all the people around you. A number of his teachings, a number of the things he does hit on that as well. Think, for instance, when he goes, is it to Athens for the first time? There is a shrine to an unknown god. He'd plays into it. That's the God that I'm going to tell you about now and he's going to blow your mind. 
Paul is all about making the gospel as easy to receive as possible to people that are new to it. And he is magnificently like, successful because of it. But keep that in mind. And now let's look at that mystery that we got to at the beginning of our, our message today. A girl comes up, is clearly demon-possessed, Every other instance that you come across of a disciple or an apostle coming to somebody that is demon-possessed, the first thing that they do, it's almost just a reflex, heal them. That is what happens. Here he doesn't until he is finally annoyed into it a number of days later. Why is that? There's been a number of solutions put forward for that over the years. And one of the biggest ones is remembering who Paul is and what he's about. That Paul's whole thing is making the gospel message as accessible as possible to people that don't have the framework to know it. Paul is well-traveled. Paul is, well, he's fluent in Greek, Paul knows a lot of Greek people. Paul is a Roman citizen. And here we have a woman who is possessed, but in such a way that she would have been seen as tied to one of the local gods, Apollo. If Paul would have healed her right off the hop, my bet is what he thought would have happened is that right then and there, the town probably would have snapped shut like a bear trap around hearing the gospel at all. He probably would go before the magistrates. He probably would get thrown in prison or worse, and that would be the end of him. He would probably have thought that because there are many stories that come from people doing exactly what the two owners say that they did. They have raised up the city by saying things that are against our customs. And that is exactly what happened to all of them. And so that's the most common way that that's read as to why he doesn't convert her right then and there. I can save this girl, cast out the spirit, or I can make it so Philippi is as receptive to the gospel as possible. In the end, he's badgered into casting the demon out. And what is it that we see? We see that he is immediately brought before the magistrates tossed into jail. We see that the entire town raises up against them. So maybe the way he thought wasn't all that off. But what do we also see? What we see is that by casting that demon out, this slave girl who was clearly being exploited by her owners because of an affliction she has. So that's always how demon possessions, possessions are. They're an affliction. We see that this girl that was being exploited because of her affliction is healed. What we see is that because he does that, there is an entire jail filled with prisoners that come to be so impacted by the Lord that instead of running for their own safety when an earthquake comes, giving them a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, they instead stay there because they want to be with the two men that have shown them God. And what we see is that there is a jailer who is so terrified of what will happen to him that he let people go, that he would sooner take his own life 
leave his household to starve than to face up to what the magistrate and Roman justice was going to do. We see instead of death for him, there is eternal life for him and his family. If Paul kept his cool, if Paul didn't heal that girl, would the gospel have been warmer to be received in Philippi? Maybe. We don't know. We see that bad things happen, but we don't know what could have been. We don't know what could have happened. But what we do know is because he lost his cool and did the Christian thing, a girl who was exploited is now better off. An entire prison filled with prisoners have now come to see the Lord in a new way. And where there should have been death, there was life instead. How things could have gone, we don't know. But how things did go, by Paul following Jesus' proclamation that one of the hallmarks of Christian is you heal. We do know that by doing that Christian thing, some amazingly good things came from it. And I think that there's something important there for us to remember when it comes to what it means to live in faithfulness to God, what it means to live in trust and reliance on God. Because I think often we find ourselves put in this exact predicament as well, this place where we want to share what's in us, that joy that the Lord brings to us in our hearts. We want to just give it to everyone, and that's a wonderful thing. And we want to do it in a way that everybody around us everyone understands and then they can take it to their hearts so that they can know the same joy we do. That is a completely understandable thing. But the moment that we try to share our faith in a way that the people around us are particularly receptive to, a good thing, there does come with it a temptation. There does come with it the temptation because we know the people around us to play up the parts of our faith that are the good parts and play down the parts of our faith that we know that they won't know what to do with. That's just talking to people, that's how it works. But in that temptation, there's a dangerous thing that comes from it. Because I ask you right now, how many people do you know that live around you, that genuinely want to spend time with the people that our town, our province, our country would think of as just the wrong kind of people? How many people do you know that just go out of their way to spend time with those that are just universally just a bored? Benton, not many. And so what happens for good intentions of trying to share our faith in a way that is readily accessible, what happens is that all too often we find ourselves playing up the good things and without even recognizing it, making the church into a place that isn't welcoming to those people that need us to welcome them the most. And to us, when we're put in that position, this passage says something pretty clear. Will it make the gospel more receptive if we do that, if we make it as accessible as possible, even though we end up not reaching out to the people that the Lord Jesus Christ tells us to reach out to the most? Maybe. That we don't know. But what we do know 
is that by Paul following the Lord, there is a slave girl who is healed, even though everyone in her town would rather have her stay sick because they're making money that way. There are prisoners that come to know God and a jailer who not only got to go home after that earthquake to his family that night, but even showed them eternal life as a result. We can make things as palatable as we want to. Maybe it'll work, who knows. But what we're called to, first and foremost, is to live as Christ calls us to. To reach out to those people that need us. And so now I ask you, we look at the church across North America these days, we're called to reach out to the people that need us the most, the people that have the boot of society on their necks, the people that are the downtrodden, the people that everyone looks down at. As we look at the church today, how many immigrants or refugees or foreigners are there how many people who are ex-cons or prisoners or drug addicts, alcoholics are there? How many people who are struggling with their identity, trans or queer or anything, are there? These are the people that society has it out for. And so these are the people that, as the church, we need to show our love to the most. And yet when we look around, how many people are there that look exactly like us and think exactly like us? As we look at our passage today, it teaches us something wonderful about what it means to live in faithfulness, to live in trust and reliance on God. It teaches us that while it's not a bad thing to want to make our faith as readily accessible to everyone around as possible, to bring them in at the same time, what we are called to is to be with the people that have it the worst. And I think if we can internalize that, oh, what the Lord will do. Thanks, Russell. All my 200 sermons that you've preached, my favorites are the ones you challenge us. That was good. And thanks for making me cry just before we have to sing. <laughs> Um, we introduced this song last time we sang, and uh, just invite you to sing along with us this time. Oh, 
smells good. So, potluck, immediately after the service. I invite you all to stay. It'll be a good time. And also, don't forget, 7 p.m., there'll be the loud music here at the church, and I'm looking forward to that as well, and I hope you can join me. So, our benediction comes from the book of Numbers. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Go this week and serve our loving God. Thank you.